So focusing on that, that first advent is, is tremendous. Um, but kind of what we looked at last week was that looking at the first advent is supposed to point us toward the second advent, his next arrival that's coming for us. Um, and so uh, I believe we can, we can fully invest ourselves in the first one, uh, but if, if it stops at that nativity scene, if that's all we think about is you know, a little town of Bethlehem. We, if that's all, I, we're limited to that, then we're missing, we're missing what, what he really came to do in a lot of ways. We're missing the, the full picture of what goes on. So, um, we kind of, we kind of grab onto the first advent with all that we have. We celebrate what he has done, his first arrival, and we look forward to what he will do in his second arrival. We kind of grab on those things, and we find ourselves kind of basically in the middle of advent one, advent two, his, both of his two arrivals. Um, so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at that second advent and kind of how that should affect things now. So, so we start off in Revelation 21. Let me tell you what's already happened at this point. Um, John uh, wrote Revelation uh, as it was like really it was a, a vision of, of sorts that was given to him. And he was allowed to see, to see heaven and allowed to see this pretty phenomenal reality. Uh, in chapter 21... Uh, things that we're going to skip would be uh, the Antichrist. Sorry. Uh, all the last times, end of days stuff. Everything in the Kirk Cameron movie, we're going to leave all that behind us. Uh, no pun intended. We're gonna, we're just, we're, we've already, we are, that's already happened. However that's going to go down, it's already happened. Uh, whatever your opinions on rapture will be, whatever, millennial reign, thousand years, dead rising, all that kind of stuff. That stuff has already happened by chapter 21. So we're just going to, Acknowledge the fact that we skipped over some things that a lot of people are interested in. Uh, but we're just not going to talk about that tonight. Um, in chapter 21, that has all happened. Um, everyone has appeared before the judgment seat. So he's already separated sheep and goats, like in Matthew 25. He's already, like the ones who will not spend eternity with, with God, but they will spend eternity separated from God in hell, they are already there. Um, and so all that has happened, all the... Uh, like that's all all going on. So if that's if you're hoping that we talk about that stuff tonight, that's not for tonight. We're gonna we're gonna start with like what what heaven uh, what heaven's gonna be like, um, and that part of the like the completion of the two advents, I guess. I think that will help us really paint a more uh, just 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 a more deep understanding of what life should look like. So look at look at chapter twenty one. Um, admitted, admittedly, interpreting some of this stuff is kind of it leaves a lot up in the air. So I'm just going to do my best. I uh, hope that's all right. Um, verse one says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Okay? Let's, let's hit pause right there for right now. Lots of stuff, lots of stuff packed in here. 
Look at the first verse. This will kind of help us get a good, um, a good understanding of what we're talking about. Verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Um, there's this belief that exists in. Uh, I don't know if it's exclusively in the Western church, like in let's say America, but it's pretty. It's pretty much out there that we will be swept up to heaven. You know, the heaven's like up there. And, you know, I'll fly away and be with Jesus in like up there. I even heard a preacher one time talk about how he thinks that the heaven is in the north part of the universe. I was like, I don't think there's a north outside of... Anyway. Uh, like, okay, whatever. Uh, but there's this idea that it's like we'll be swept away that um, that heaven will will be like we'll kind of be like we'll kind of be like maybe angels maybe without the wings we'll kind of be like weird angels where we'll, we'll, there'll be a lot of robes um, there'll be a lot of clouds everywhere they'll kind of walk through clouds or float or just like drift you know seamlessly through clouds we'll have a harp you know or something like that or that it's like this like forever like going like worship service you know like billion people. Chris Tomlin on stage, you know, bringing the heat, whatever, and we'll sing How Great Is Our God for eternity, you know, like it just it never ends, just key change after key change, but we all have these amazing voices now, so we can just keep going for it like you always wanted to, and you finally get to be the guy that just weeps, you know, the whole time, and we have all these just, just weirdness that's there. Um, we There's this weird deal about, you know, mansions and um, that's being built for me in glory, you know, and that that we'll have our 40 acres or whatever, and like the more good stuff you do, the bigger your mansion is, and and so you really want your mansion to be like gigantic, you know, in in heaven. And uh, there's just there's just so much stuff that's there. Apparently, we'll have a a crown with lots of jewels on it, and our head, you know, our neck will be hurting because you're such, you know, you're so awesome on the earth. And there's just all this stuff that's out there, um, and some of it, like some of it's maybe legit, some of it really just kind of isn't. Uh, some of it comes from interpretations of passages like this. Uh, but I, this is my belief, and I'm not alone in this, is that my understanding of this particular verse, a new heaven and a new earth, will mean that heaven will not be up there in the northern part of the universe or just up in the clouds somewhere, but that heaven, like our, this Revelation 21, will be right here. Like we will live on, on the earth forever. That this, that this that heaven will be here. And... That in and of itself is, in a lot of ways, like very much a game changer, you know. Um, but it's not Earth as we know it. It's the it's the new Earth, it's new heaven and new Earth. Um, and the the big idea is that you know right now, um, heaven and Earth like there's a there's a separation that's there in a sense that God has fully revealed. In, in heaven, where like where he dwells now, that there is a actual place where or he is kind of like just like full on there. And here on the earth, uh, his glory, his presence, like it's it's kind of he's restricting it. You know, we've talked about that before that he's everywhere, but we don't sense it everywhere and um, and all that. But on the new heaven and new earth, that a part of that newness is that that separation will not be there anymore. That the, that the two will become one, but the two will become one here, here on this earth. Um, and there are, are some that, that will interpret that and they'll say, new heaven, new earth, 
meaning that like he's gonna like create a, a new earth somewhere, like out in the universe somewhere, and he's gonna take us to that place, or or that uh, when it says that the old had passed away, the first earth had passed away, meaning that like he'll take us all somewhere, and then like kind of like death start, you know, or something, and explode this earth, and we're all on the new earth. Um, but this, uh, this might be helpful if you go if you go and you look at at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You know, we studied Second Corinthians. If you look at First and Second Corinthians, he deals a lot with like the with our resurrection bodies, um, the fact that that we will go through a bodily resurrection, that um, that we will be made new. And so, it's not that God destroys us; it's that God redeems and restores us. That's that's how that's how it works. Uh, so in heaven, um, you'll still you'll still be you. I'll still be me, but it'll be the the new you, the new the new me. He redeems and restores, uh, and basically that process is about him just taking every effect of sin out of you completely, to where you're there like just just as intended, just I'm um, just holiness, just like he wants. Um, that when we think in terms of holiness, we think. Uh, separated from sin, devoted to the glory of God. That's kind of our working definition of holiness. That that's how you and I will be. We'll be separated from sin. So every everything about sin that affects you and I, the fact that we get sick, the fact that we grow old and die, like all those kinds of things, the fact that we um, are tend to be self-centered and prideful and that we, you know, all that, the, the two circles that overlap that we talk about, all that stuff completely removed. And so you'll be you'll be the new you just as he intended. As humans go... So follows all the rest of creation. So the new earth will also be redeemed and will be restored, and it'll be it'll be that return to Eden that we talk about, not like going back in time, not, not like that, but a a redeeming and restoring of to the fact that like oh, at some point we're going to understand what what the draw of Eden is. You know, we kind of think we understand like man, how incredible would would it be to to just like be able to walk through a garden with God and like dialogue with Him and to be like we'll we'll get that because that's that's what He's doing in us. So the new heaven, new earth, uh, will yeah, that's what we're going for. So as humans go, so follows the rest of creation. So if you want to know what heaven's going to be like uh, in your mind, get rid of get rid of clouds and like big mansions and weird harps and worship services and start thinking more like earth, earth. Life on earth, but holy life on earth. Take all of sin out of it, and what you're left with is this beautiful thing. And then the newness part of it is probably not only will it, will it be like, oh, it's how we're supposed to be, but like amped up, like so much better. Now, let me let me keep going so I don't run out of time. Uh, when it says the sea was no more, that doesn't mean there won't be bodies of water. Uh, the sea, if you, in the earlier in the letter, the sea is where like the beast came from and stuff like that, and basically. Like bodies of water in in the first century were dangerous. They were they were problematic. They were that's that's where people went to die. You know they they got caught up in storms, all that kind of stuff. It was unpredictable. It just wasn't. Uh, and so it, the sea was very threatening. And so by saying the sea was no more, it's really been like the, all the threats that you think are there, whether it's the it's the, where the beast you know lives and comes from, or just the unpredictability of weather or all that kind of stuff. There's just no more threat, is what that means. Uh, on this new heaven, new earth. Uh, we're talking about like our current earth. So look at verse 2. Uh, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, So there's that 
idea of us going up to heaven. It's not we go up to heaven. It's the heaven really, in a sense, like comes here to us. All right. Um, and uh, it says, "Come down of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." Talked about that last week, that wedding imagery. But we're going to talk more about the city uh, in a few minutes. So we'll just kind of leave that. Come back to it. Verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "All right, so this would be God talking." Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay? That that verse right there, you go back to the beginnings of, of, of the Bible, you go back to Leviticus, you look in Ezekiel. Um, that's the covenant promise of God that he's made for years and years and years. That's quoted by the people of our faith for years and years and years. That that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. That's what he's, they're constantly looking forward to that, forward to that. But he's saying, behold, like, look, look at this reality. Okay? So that verse is, like, that's a, that is of incredible significance for us when we're talking about our, our, like, where we're gonna land. That God, he absolutely keeps every single promise. That's so important during Advent for us to keep in mind that, uh, that Advent we celebrate like promises kept. That's a part of it. Here in the second Advent, again, we celebrate promises kept, except for the fact that He's with, like, with us. That the, like, there are times now, like, when we sense His nearness and we know He's there and we, and we know it, but there, there will be no, like, that veil will not be there. You know, how, how we kind of feel, so feel a little bit separated, even though we know we're not separated. Sometimes it feels that way. And we know in our minds that there are just, there are times when we're more aware of his nearness than others. But that's what it is. There will be no doubt of that on the new earth. In heaven, then we won't have those times like, I just don't really feel it. it. No, no. It's all the time. That battle that we face now, well, it just it just won't be there anymore. And this this is what makes heaven heaven. We think that, we think it's mansions and jewels and reward and all that kind of stuff. But it, and, and it's not even the lifting of the curse. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that the dwelling of God and man will there'll be it'll just be this big blob of like oneness that's with him. That that's where that's where we're going. That's what makes heaven so phenomenal. That's what we should we should long for that, you know. We should long for that. And what's awesome is that God longs for that too. And that's a part of what, of what He is doing and like ramping up to do. Um, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Okay? Everything that causes us pain in, on this earth, in this human experience, in this age, that, all that stuff will, it will pass away. So, like, fill in the blank with whatever it is that brings pain and sorrow and tears to us. And that stuff will not exist on the new earth. That we'll not lose loved ones to cancer. That there won't be, uh, sickness of any kind. There won't be physical issues that, w- that we deal with. There will be no growing older, you know, and eventually passing away. All that stuff was done. So no more AIDS, no more cancer, no more common cold, you know, no more pneumonia. 
There'll be no more like having to struggle with, with uh, physical issues. There'll be no longer struggling with, with mental issues. There'll be no more, no more depression, no more anxiety, uh, no more doubt, no more fear. I mean, all those things that tend to plague us. Uh, I mean, everything that brings pain into our lives will pass away. This the the thought of that like it's really really hard to it's hard to wrap your mind around. It's like how can you live in a world where there's just there's just nothing to cry about? Says, yeah, but it says he wipes away every tear. I think that I think that verse is talking about how thinking joyful we're going to be over the fact that like this is really like our reality for for just for days without end. You know? And imagine you being like so just overjoyed that every battle you've had with anxiety or depression or confusion or or every disease that you've battled every every fear that there is every like physical issue maybe that you were born with or that happened later every 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 bit of that like it just doesn't exist and here you are in this existence finally that curse and all that kind of junk has been lifted and god is the one right there and you're so overjoyed and you're just weeping with joy and god himself is the one that like wipes that tear away that's 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 where we're going that's what the second advent will bring to us. That's what the first advent has purchased for us and guaranteed for us. That's reality for you and for me. It's amazing. Look, uh, all right, look at verse 5. We need, to, we need to understand the curse being lifted and, and those practical ways it plays out. Here, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Okay? All things means all things. All things means all things. It's saying, look, I'm making all things new. Everything we just described, it's all this, all this newness that's there. Okay? When, when man is made new, creation follows afterwards. Alright? So, not only are we made new, but now, we don't, we don't, uh, have that tension between one another. That was a part of Genesis 3. A part of the curse was that man, man and woman do this now. And that's not just like some sort of a jab at marriage or uh, how men and women are different. It's not that. It's just saying like, look, relationally, this is what happens. There's tension there. Between males and females, between males and males, females and females, between everybody, there's, there's strife. There's this tension that's there. That tension also goes between us and the animal kingdom. Okay? That's why animals don't like... Gen- they generally don't like us unless we like feed them and care for them and talk to them like they're babies or whatever. And we kind of domesticate some of them, but the most part, like you see a lion, you're like, "Hey, I want to play with that lion." He's gonna he's gonna eat. That's what's gonna happen. That's a part of the curse. But you remember in in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 11, he talks about the lion and and the lamb lying down together. Like the animal kingdom, there won't be strife between them either. Like they'll all get along, and we'll get along with them. So we don't need to like hunt them and kill them. You know, we don't need to put them in pens and all kinds of like everything is, is fine. There's also not tension between us and the earth. That's another one of the curses. Is that we try to, we try to work with the earth to get it to, uh, to get us grow food or whatever. And then like it won't rain. You know, okay, well great. Or when it rains too much or there's too much sunlight or not enough shade or whatever. We don't, we're not battling the earth to produce crops anymore. Like it's all cooperating together. Uh, there are no more, no more earthquakes that happen. You know, like that, there's no more shifting of those plates. You know, that's a part of the curse. That's, so we don't have to worry about, um, like, what's going to happen. We don't have to worry about 
weather systems causing all this damage, you know. Um, maybe it'll still rain on the new earth. I kind of hope it does, because I think rain is awesome. Um, and I would imagine that the earth will need rain, but it won't be destructive rain. It'll be like the awesome kind of rain, you know, all the time. Um, all those kind of things won't exist. And so the lifting of the curse, it's everything from how the earth functions and how we relate to it, to how the animal kingdom functions and how we relate to it, and how we function together and how we relate to one another. So every bit of oppression, every bit of strife, all that kind of stuff is taken away. So when, when he says, behold, I'm making all things new, there's just, without exception, like that, just, that covers everything. It covers absolutely everything. We'll definitely come back to that. And then he says, uh, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Uh, and he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, just, the, just the fact that he's like, look, it's, it's done. There's nothing left to come af- after this point. No more advents. There's no more, no more prophecy. No more whatever. It's interesting that, you know, when, in 1 Corinthians 13, when it says, faith, hope, and love, you know, abide these three, but the greatest is love. The reason why is because at that point, like where we are right now in, in the scripture, we, there's no need for faith anymore. There's no, there's no like, oh, I need to hope in the things I can't see because we see it all. No more wondering. Nothing left to hope in because it's right in front of us. The only thing that really remains is love, that we just love one another. And he's saying it's done. At this point, it's done. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. It's, it's all done. Uh, the next, uh, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the thirsty I'll give you water without payment. That's just a, a demonstration of the, of the provision that will exist in heaven. That every need is, is met. It's met by God Himself. Now, on this earth we live on, every need, every need, every need is still met by God Himself. So I know we like to think like, oh, I got me a job and I got me, you know, whatever. I'm, you know, taking the bull by the horns. I'm providing for myself or my family or, or then times when we're, like, if we're out of work, we're struggling to find work, we feel really insecure. Like, I'm not, I'm not getting it done. I'm not, I'm not providing for myself. We have this weird battle with whatever. Uh, the reality is God provides for every single thing. If you have a job and you work hard, it's because He provided a job for you. If you have food in front of you, it's because He provided that food for you. He's got a provision. In heaven, they're just, they're, we won't, we won't get confused as to where that, where the source of that provision is coming from. He's saying freely without payment. That's how it's going to work. I'm going to meet every single need that you have. Um, verse seven. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Clearly he's saying there's you go one of two ways by this point. So everything he's describing, he's saying for those for the, the for the ones who are faithful, for the conquerors, like this like this is your heritage. This is what like you have to look forward to. This is guaranteed for you who are faithful. And for the faithless, they have they have a different guarantee in front of them. And that's a reality we have to deal we have to deal with. That that there is an eternity and you spend it one of two places. In our world today we don't like to hear that, we don't like to preach that, we we try to avoid that stuff, but but you can't you just can't avoid this. You just you can't. Too important. 
Um, so look at the next deal. Um, verse nine. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna read a lot. I'm gonna read this whole thing because I think we need to hear it. We're not gonna go verse by verse through this because it's just it, just too much. Um, verse nine. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The wife of Jesus to be the church. That's that wedding imagery we talk about. Um, And he carried carried me away in the spirit. Alright? Just basically it's just another way of saying that, that the Lord guided his mind and gave him this vision, you know, and explained this stuff in a vision. Pretty awesome. Uh, Took away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. Okay, here's the description of this city. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Okay? Lots of symbolism here. Lots of, of heritage and history. Uh, the fact that the apostles were not random. The tribes were not random. This is all like God just like proving this faithfulness of like, I have, this is all my plan. This is all beautifully constructed by me. Like it's orchestrated. This is just, yeah. Tremendous, tremendous stuff there. He's talking about a literal city. Some people think this is all figurative and all this kind of stuff, but most people are in the camp being like, no, no, no. On the earth, there will be this like really, really phenomenal city uh, that will be like the capital, so to speak. Um, verse 15, The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Uh, its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width, and height are equal. Okay? So you're talking about a city that's 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles tall. Okay? Uh, It's 1,400 miles from here to Phoenix. Alright? But if you think, think about a square, uh, go from the Appalachian Mountains to California, all right, Canada to Mexico. That's about a 1,400-mile square. Imagine a city that that big, first of all. Uh, kind of a big city. But then imagine a city that's it's a cube, so it's that tall as well. So 1,400 miles high. I don't understand how that's going to work, you know, like I don't know if like we'll just we'll see it hit the clouds and just know it goes another however many miles above clouds are, uh, or if we'll be able to see it or like I don't really understand all that kind of stuff. But think think about the massiveness of this city. Um, I, I read this. They have like you know like Bible nerds figure this stuff out that if if you took a city that that big and you and you put it into stories. You know, and and each story was say tw- was twelve feet tall. You'd have six hundred thousand stories. That's how tall the building, the place would be. So you could literally put billions and billions of people in this city and and never run out of room, really. 
if if the whole thing was constructed that way or whatever. So we're just we're talking about something just absolutely massive that is going to be a part of this new earth. All right. Now, if you've ever traveled, you've ever been to like D.C., you know, and you're like, wow, you know, like you're seeing some of these buildings. You've been to New York. You've been to like the, I don't know, in different parts of the world. Like when I when I got to go to Israel, I was like, that's the Temple Mount. You know, like it's like right there, and that's the Wailing Wall. And you're seeing some of these things. It's just phenomenal. Imagine that this will be like normal to have this incredible structure that's there. Um, look at the next part. Uh, or 17. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. First was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, fifth onyx, the sixth uh, chameleon, the seventh crystallite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystal praise, uh, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth M. And, uh, and the twelve gates were were. That's how you say it. Uh, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of city was pure gold, uh, transparent as glass. All right. That the building materials of his city are the things that we like kill people for here. You know all this oppression and injustice and. You know, you, you watch the movie Blood Diamond and you're like, oh my, you know, what's going on in our world? And people steal gold and they, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, no, that's going to be what, like, gold will be like asphalt is here to us, you know. That the construction materials are these most precious jewels or whatever. Uh, that, most uh, tremendous. All that to basically get to this understanding. Um, this will be this will be the place be the place where where God lives among us. Like this will be the place where you can go and see Him and and hang out with Him. Now certainly His presence will be everywhere and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about like tangible stuff. Like Jesus will be a He'll be a man forever. So like you'll be able to hug Jesus. Or shake his hand, or you know, whatever. Like that will be possible. Like, what do you want to do today? Let's go see Jesus. Okay, you go see Jesus. What do you want to do today? Let's go to one of the the East Gates. Let's go to see those. I don't know. I've never been to the East Gate. Go check that out. Okay. Go over there. That's a giant. That's a giant pearl. You've never seen a pearl that big. Okay. That's a big angel guarding the. Okay, cool. What do you want to do now? I don't know. Southgate? I don't know. Let's, let's see. Let's go see what's out there. I say all, all this to say, like, throw out this idea that we're floating around on clouds with harps all the time. Like, it's it's real tangible stuff that we're a lot more familiar with than we think, except for the sin part. So if you're like, man, I'm not really real big on cities. Well, imagine... All the good parts of the cities and none of the bad parts of the cities. Take the curse away. Perfect architecture, perfect beauty. Let's just let's just assume it's like modern cities that we know. Like imagine like the parks. Imagine imagine the the design of some of the buildings. Imagine the just the the genius that you'll be able to see. Like oh this this is what a city should look like. Imagine 
Imagine a city where there's there's just no worry, like, am I going to get mugged? Am I going into a weird kind of weird part of town where I won't feel comfortable? Um, you know, like, it's like, well, well better be careful because I don't want to get, like, run over because the drivers there are, are crazy. And there's just none of that weird stuff that's there. It's just all all the goodness. But it'll be like a real like a real city. Heaven, heaven is like a real place that we're a lot more familiar with than we think. Look at the next part. Um, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Remember the if you ever studied the the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, uh, where like the Holy of Holies was and and stuff like that. If you ever have seen diagrams of it or pictures of it, the like the actual place where the Holy of Holies would be, it's a big cube. It's exactly like it was described here, just in a much smaller scale. And so we don't really understand this giant, this cube where God lives, but they understood a cube where God lives. It's just expanded tremendously. And so he's saying, he's saying, but I saw no temple there because, like, God's, he is the temple. You know, there's no need for a temple. Like he's everywhere. No need to confine him. He's, he's everywhere. Uh, verse twenty-three. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Alright? Not saying there won't be sun or moon, we just, we just won't need them for light because the, God just light everything up. By its light, okay, by the lamp of the Lamb, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Okay, this this implies that outside of the city there will be like more existence out there. That travel will be like a part of the new earth. Now let's I ain't trying to be weird, but like let's let's assume that like the whole like the earth was was like Pangaea, like one big deal. Let's say that it goes back to that, and let's say that like here you have this capital city that's like sitting there in the middle of this big landmass. Uh, Maybe that's a part of eternity. Is you spend all your eternity maybe like going on these journeys. You ever see a picture of somewhere and you're like, how is there a place that beautiful on earth and I will never get to go there? Well, guess what? It'll be on the new earth and it'll be more beautiful and you have an entire eternity to travel there and to sit there and to praise God that He is such a genius that He could make something like that. I was reading somewhere, you know, there's like a lot of like questions about heaven and stuff and these theologians were like, and one of the questions is like, will there be like say like the Grand Canyon, um, or the Swiss Alps, you know, or whatever like the Rocky Mountains? Will those be on the New Earth? And uh, one of the his, one of the guys answered. He said, "Well, he said, uh, you know, there's no reason to think it wouldn't be, except it wouldn't be the Grand Canyon. It'd be the New Grand Canyon. You know, like how are you gonna improve the Grand Canyon? Well, leave it up to God. Be like, well, I could do better now." Sin totally messed that up. This is how it was supposed to look, and we just like pass out. You know, it's like, like how do you do that? But that's and it, and when it talks about like the, like the kings coming and going and bringing things into the city, it even implies that there will be structure. You know, that there will be leaders out there. You know, that there will be nations that we won't get to heaven and like all of a sudden like everybody like everybody's like the same race or same nationality. No, it's just all that has been redeemed. So these, all these different nations, we're just all there, and it's just not—it's just not a big deal like it is now. Nobody's fighting each other. Nobody's competing with each other. It's just, it really is like this, this just tremendous peace. There's just none—none none of that tension exists anymore. 
And so the nations come and go, and the capital says the gates are, they never close. There's no, and never a need to shut the gates and protect from anybody. There's no threat. They're always there. They're always open. And that's, I mean, that's eternity for us. So the next time you, you see something and you're like, man, I, I really wish that I could see that with my own eyes, you will be able to see that, except it'll be more beautiful and you'll have better eyes. Like that's heaven for us. Can you imagine like traveling out and you're going somewhere and you're like, man, I've always wanted to see this and you, and you see it and it's just whatever and maybe you and your like, your people that you're closest with, you're like, let's go on a road trip and, uh, nobody like, there's no sin anymore so nobody gets their feelings hurt because they're left out. Nobody's like, I can't go because I don't have any money. You know, like none of that stuff even exists anymore. It's like, who wants to go? I want to go. And everybody goes. And then you're like, man, you know, this is beautiful, but like, I, I want to get back to the, I want to get back to the city. Yeah. Like, I want to get back to, I want to get back to the new to New Jerusalem. Maybe maybe eventually you'll start calling it just Jerusalem or whatever. I want to get back. I want to get back to where Jesus is. And so this coming and going all the time in this real tangible place that's just it, it, absolutely perfect. Let me keep going because I don't want to run, run it too too long. Uh, verse seven: Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Talking about the city, or anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Basically saying, you, you, there's just no fear of being like, oh man, what if somebody comes and messes this up? Never going to happen. Can't happen. Impossible. Curse lifted. Nope. There's no more sin. Nowhere. Not even the opportunity for it. Okay? Verse 22. We'll just read the first couple of verses here. Um, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Okay? So in that verse, we see we have rivers, we have water. Uh, there's light. Um, verse 2, through the middle of the street. Okay, so there's streets uh, of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Okay? Um, first of all, the tree of life, like the one that was in the Garden of Eden, it will be there as a part of the city. Have you ever, like, I don't know, been like, man, I wonder what Eden looked like? Well, there'll be a you get out your map, I guess, or something like that, and be like, "Where? Oh, there's Eden. Let's go to Eden and look at the tree of life." So the same tree that Adam and Eve like looked at, not the not the knowledge of good, not the one that led to sin, like the good one that was there. It'll be there, right? You'll be able to behold this tree. Like, man, that fruit looks awesome. Let's get some, and there'll be plenty of it. Um, but it also notice it says yielding its fruit each month. That that time time will move forward in this moment by moment deal. I think that's a part of everybody's fear is that time will be like suspended and there'll just be this like weird, like just like floating out there or whatever. No, no, like time will progress, all right? We don't become timeless like God, uh, so it's going along. So there's that'll be just kind of moving, be a part of it, which would be pretty cool. Uh, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, all right? We're talking about nations being healed. Um, no longer will there be anything accursed, nothing will live under the curse anymore. We can get that through our heads like nothing lives under the curse anymore in heaven. Nothing. That's massive for us. We really can't fathom it fully, but, but we can start to entertain it. What will relationships look like where there's no sin involved? Well, that's, isn't that the holiness that we try to walk in all the time? Right. That'll be every relationship. Every everything. The curse totally lifted. Um, no longer will anything be accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. Alright? 
This doesn't mean that we sing songs all day. This just means that everything we do will glorify Him. So if you go on a road trip to go somewhere or whatever, like you're worshiping Him on that road trip, that's, you're glorifying Him in that. doesn't mean you sing the whole way or read Scripture the whole way necessarily, but every step of that is just like soaking up the goodness of God. Everything is redirected to Him with gratitude. Um, verse 4, they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And it's not meant to be weird. That's, that's like ownership. Like you, you're mine. How many times do you have to say that? You're my sons and daughters. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. He's like writing His name on us. There's that connection that will be there. We'll be able to see His face. And guess what? His brow isn't furrowed. He doesn't have like, I'm mad at you face. He has good face to you. And you'll be able to, you won't have to wonder anymore. And you're in heaven because you'll see it right there. Verse 5, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. But there is no end of those days. There's no like, man, just one day this will be better. One day this will be better. There will be no end to this goodness. You don't have to worry about watching the clock being like, man, this is certainly at some point something's going to go wrong. You know, just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop. That doesn't, it will not be your existence. It'll just be just perpetual goodness forever. Um, verse six, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And he says, and behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed are you who walk in this. Okay, so let me let me close this out with this. What does this have to do with Christmas? Probably wondering. If we live between the first advent of Jesus and the second advent of Jesus, we're supposed to grab onto what He has done, and that's supposed to point us forward. This is where it should point us forward to. We shouldn't get hung up, hung up in trumpets singing and wish we'd all been ready and all that kind of. Stuff. We shouldn't like. Don't worry about that. That's going to take care of itself. It'll probably be kind of weird. But in an awesome way. But like this is this is really what that like is fulfilling for us, All right? But here's how it, here's how it fits into Advent, um, even in a more practical sense. And this really fits into every day of life. That when he says, "Behold, I'm making all things new," like we said last week, we are the things that he's already begun making new. That there is no like you know one day he's going to start making me new. That's already begun. So for you and me, the challenge is okay. If that's how heaven's going to be, how do I live in that kind of existence right now? Like, how do I live to where, like, that, like, I want to live in that reality. I don't want to wait for that reality. I want to live in that now. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, live in that reality now. In other words, live in the kingdom right now. Every week in community group, we talk about this. Live in the, live in this reality now. It's like, yeah, but, but, I mean, that's kind of like impossible to a sense. Well, it's not impossible in every sense. It will be more complete at that time, but He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, right? So we live in, we can live in this existence now. You think, yeah, but like then like everybody will be doing it would be a whole lot easier. Yeah, well, there's how many of us in this room? I don't know, a bunch. If we were all doing it, and everybody at all the other churches, if everybody was doing it, that's a lot of Baton Rouge that would be living in this reality. So Baton Rouge had to be like, man, I wonder what, wonder what the kingdom of God's like. I wonder what heaven's like. I wonder what Jesus is like. It's like, well, I see examples of it all the time. And so we start to figure out, okay, well, 
what would this look like on the new earth? And then you act like that. You pray, God, help me to live that that kind of stuff out. So, so if you wanna if you wanna be a business owner, be like, okay, what would being a business owner look like on the new earth? Well, lots of integrity, uh, no sin, you know, no deception, no whatever. Uh, treat everybody like the same, all that kind of stuff. So you like, all right, I'm figure out a way to implement that. What do friendships look like on the new earth? Well, we're probably not jealous of each other. We don't probably don't talk about each other, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why we're like, what is the, what is what is the life of a kid in India? What should it look like on the new earth? Well, it shouldn't involve uh, being abandoned and abused. It shouldn't involve being homeless, living in a train station, getting hooked on drugs by gang members, and like being like sold for all kinds of like horrible things. That should not be right. So, um, so we support a rescue home that gets them out of there and says, no, let's let us show you heaven. So the offering we take up on Christmas Eve is going to help that be able to become a reality. That's why we do that. It's not like, oh, this is a nice thing to give our money to. It's like, no, that's what heaven looks like, so let's try to make that a reality. That's what celebrating Advent should bring to us. That's why we go and do Christmas parties at Maison Day Me. That's why we go to the women's shelter and, and do that that deal. That's why Breakfast on the Levee happened today. That's why our youth went and cleaned up Les's house. That's why we do these things. It's not like, oh, let's go serve each other and do good things mindlessly. It's like, no, we do this because we're trying to like bring heaven to earth in practical and real ways. That's why that's why we do. We're not like trying to earn more rewards in heaven and all that kind of stuff. It's not about that. It's like, no, no, heaven doesn't have to wait. It doesn't have to wait. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians that we live around and the culture we live in, a lot of us maybe in this room, are so just self absorbed that we just we lose sight of that. We're like, Man, as long as I'm getting in, I'll it'll be awesome when we get there, we'll figure it out then. The reality is there are some folks who have not experienced this and they need to. They have no idea what heaven looks like or or sounds like or feels like or smells like. They've never seen it demonstrated and they need to. And that's the challenge of Advent, I believe. It's to get past the warm, fuzzy Christmas carol gatherings of friends and the colors and all that kind of stuff and be like, no, this is a, a beautiful reality that's very, very tough as we live in between them. And we never know when that second one's coming. So how do we how do we find ways to make heaven real on the earth today? Good questions, I think. Worth thinking about. Uh, let's pray. Lord, um, Lord, I know that I just kind of just blasted through that pretty pretty fast. And, it's a lot to take in, but hopefully, um, hopefully now we kind of have a good picture of the fact that man, this our eternity is phenomenal. The best part about it is that you will be right there. Um, So, I mean, admittedly, we have trouble really knowing what what things should look like now. But I pray you give us a better idea. How do we make heaven real?
our lives and we demonstrate that? Um, how do we celebrate Advent in such a way that is like is just spot on? Like it, we want you to do in us the things that you want to do. So I pray that we would be able to really uh, soak up what this means for us. But that that would not make us self-centered. That would turn us more outward. Then in a world that's just obsessed with self and pride and ego and all this kind of stuff, that we would be the faithful ones who are saying, no, that's, that's not what's real. What's real is the kingdom of God. What's real is is heaven. What's real is Jesus. And that they'd be able to see it in our in our eyes, in our face, in our countenance. They'd see it in our behavior. They'd see it in the way we spend our money, um, the way we we resist materialism, and we sink our our resources into things that count. We invest our time in people. And the heaven will continue to be more and more real to us. But that begins with, with our worship and our adoration of you.